Welcome to Brit David Podcast. As Pastor Tim brings us a message from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 36 through 40, entitled, Still Others. When we think about the greatest generation, one word that is often used to describe those men and women is the word courage. They face difficulties subsequent generations only read about. Much of that had to do with war. You and I, friend, are at war. A war for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. One word that describes what this generation of Christians need is courage. Here's Pastor Tim. Would you take your Bible and turn with me this morning to Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews 11 has often been called the Hall of Faith, sort of like an Old Testament Hall of Fame. There the writer writes about the faith-filled exploits of some of the Old Testament's biggest personalities. People like Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. The list is so full that even the writer himself says that I don't have time to tell you about David and Gideon and Samuel. But it's the end of this passage that really gets me going. If you'll look down towards the end of the chapter and notice the first two words of verse number 36. It's those two words that get my heart racing. It gets my courage starting to swell within me. It simply begins by saying, still others. Still others. He's already listed 16 people by name, those who have acted in faith. And just so that you know that this is not an exhaustive list, he says that there are still others, unnamed, unnumbered, likely unnoticed. And yet still the same, they have lived out their faith in their generation, in their circumstances. God writes about them in his book. Were Hebrews chapter number 11 still being written today, there would be some 20th and 21st century Christians that would find themselves under the heading of still others. Knowing some of your stories... There's some people in this building who would already be in the category of still others. There's some in this building, and your children, your grandchildren to come, who because of living out their faith may one day find themselves under the heading of still others. Just reminds me that God knows there's not just one in every generation. It reminds me of him talking to Elijah and Elijah bemoaning the fact that he's the only one. Remember, God said, Elijah, you're not the only one. I have 7,000 others. God didn't name them for, for Elijah. He just let him know that they're there. He lets us know today that there are those who live out their faith who would be called still others. This past Monday was Memorial Day, the 155th National Memorial Day observance. 
Just like the last 154 times, the President of the United States went and laid a wreath at the tomb of the unknown soldier. Did you know that there had been four soldiers buried there at that site? There's one from World War I, there's one from World War II, there's one from the Korean conflict, and one from the Vietnam War. Not only does each one represent the lives lost in that particular battle, but they represent on the whole the 1.3 million U.S. soldiers who have died in war. In 1998, one of those bodies, the fourth one, was exhumed and put through DNA testing, and it was discovered that he was the Air Force First Lieutenant Michael Joseph Blossy. He was a plane pilot whose plane was shot down in Vietnam in 1972. It reminds me of this, that though they may go into the grave with no one knowing who they are, with no one knowing what they have done, they still have a name, And they still have a story. And God knows every one of them. Every person in this room has a name that God knows. Every person in this room, well, most, have hairs on their head that God knows the number of. He didn't have to keep track of as many on me as he used to. But God knows, doesn't he? Nobody else may know how you live out your faith. No one else may see the persecution, but God knows, and He never, ever forgets. We live in a day where your faith-filled courage is desperately needed. The day that we live in, we need men and women and boys and girls who will stand up for Jesus, who will not be ashamed of the one who gave his life for them. We need men and women and boys and girls to answer the call of courage. In this passage in Hebrews chapter number 11, I take note in this passage that there are at least two sources of a call for courage. Two calls that you may need to answer. If you're following your notes, it would go something like this. Number one, circumstances call for courage. Sometimes it is simply your circumstances that call for courage. In this passage, the still others are most of them in some kind of conflict to where they have to reach deep down into their heart and call out the courage that Christ has placed in there for them. Their circumstances demand that they do something. Shakespeare said, some men are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. That's the people in this category. Still others are forced into a situation and under circumstances where they have their Popeye moment. 
You know what that is, right? I've had all I can stands, and I can't stands no more. You have to speak. You have to act. You have to do something. More than just doing something, you're doing the things that God has called upon you to do. And in this age, that takes courage. That takes bravery. It takes a real Christian hero to act that way. Arthur Ashe said, true heroism is not the urge to surpass all others at whatever cost, but the urge to serve others at whatever cost. Your circumstances will likely draw you into this battle. It is the circumstances that others find themselves in that society has thrust upon us that call for you to serve them even when it's difficult. For the still others in Hebrews chapter 11, they are called upon to act on their faith-filled courage despite their circumstances. For example, number one, faith-filled courage faces danger. It faces danger. Immediately after identifying that there are still others, the writer mentions eight specific areas of danger that they faced. Look at what he says. Verse 36, still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment, They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. You may not be persecuted to that level. But even if you're bullied, even if you're you're ridiculed for your faith, it feels vicious, doesn't it? It feels hurtful. It feels as if there is a need on the inside of you to cry out against that. It puts you in a dangerous position. Because to speak out, to speak up for Christ is going to be countercultural. Our culture has used this word courage and bravery for the last decade in a way that the greatest generation would never have seen courage and bravery. For this generation, courage is simply declaring yourself to be something that the rest of society already thinks is okay. That's not heroism, is it? True bravery, true courage always comes in the face of danger. And what I noticed from this passage is these still others, many of them did not live to see the extent or the result of their bravery. You don't have to live to be brave. God's got a hold of you. And He knows. 
Don't be fooled to think that God's never going to put you in danger. I believe God will always put you in danger. Put you in some place where you have to rely on Him. You have to trust Him. And even if it means that I don't live through it, then it's just simply okay. Living in the face of danger takes a confidence, not in yourself, but in what God can do. Hold your place here in Hebrews chapter number 11 and turn with me to the Old Testament, to the book of Psalms. Psalm number 27. In fact, I'm going to let you hold your place here as we go back and forth between Hebrews 11 and Psalm 27. It's in these opening verses that I begin to discover that David understands what faith-filled courage really looks like. This is what he says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? What a great question. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom then on this earth shall I be afraid? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and failed. Though an army should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though what should rise against me in this I will be confident. One thing, one thing I have desired of the Lord, and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble, He shall hide me in His pavilion. In the secret place of His tabernacle, He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. Ron, it says, I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. In the midst of your trouble, in the midst of your persecution, in the midst of your ridicule, in the midst of your moment that calls upon you to have courage. You can sing the songs of Zion because the Lord dwells there. It is He who gives you confidence. It is He who gives you strength. It is He who will not allow you to be afraid in the midst of circumstances that would rattle the strongest of willpowers. Faith-filled courage always faces danger. Number two, faith-filled courage faces being destitute. It faces being destitute. Notice what he says there at the end of verse number, 36, or verse number 37. After he goes through all those things, he says, They wandered about. In sheepskin and goatskins, being, there's our word, destitute, afflicted, tormented. 
Would you? Could you? Serve those who have lost everything when you yourself have lost everything? Surely you're not so bound by the stuff that you have that you would miss those opportunities because you want to be the one to be the recipient of ministry and not the giver of ministry. Say, Tim, I want to. I mean, I, I, I want to be there for people no matter what I'm going through. But how do I do that? Well, if facing danger takes that Christ confidence, then facing being destitute takes contentment. Paul writes to the Philippian church, and he talks about those times when he's had a lot in his life and those times when he's had a little in his life. And he says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. He will write to his young pastor friend, Timothy, teaching him and leading him as he becomes the pastor in the next generation. He says to Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. In fact, the writer of Hebrews, in just a couple of chapters, is going to say to you and to me and to those who read his letter for the very first time, be content with such things as you have. To be content doesn't mean that you don't necessarily want more. It means simply that you're satisfied with the provision that God has given to you. And if His provision at this time is taken away, then you get to say like Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's how David can say, I will sing to the Lord. In the midst of my difficulties, in the midst of my danger, in the midst of being destitute, it takes contentment. Are you satisfied? Ron, I shared with them this song last week. I told it to them. I didn't sing it. (laughs) I am satisfied with Jesus. I am satisfied. But the question comes to me when I think of Calvary. Is my master satisfied with me? Be satisfied. Let me give you a third. Faith-filled courage not only faces danger and the possibility of being destitute, it also faces being deserted. Being deserted. Look at what he says there at the end of verse number 38. You see the word wandered once again. Just like he said, they wandered about in goat skins and sheep skins. He says, they wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Sounds lonely, doesn't it? Isolation is a terrible pill to swallow. Some of you are familiar with that. You're familiar with what it feels like. To be alone, even in a crowd. 
You know what it's like to feel the feeling of abandonment. There are others who do as well. In fact, I said we'd go back to Psalm 27. Let's go back there right now for a moment. Hold your place here in Hebrews 11. Look at verse number 9. Kind of about halfway down through that verse. Psalm 27, verse 9. He says to God, You have been my help. Do not leave me, nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. And look at verse 10. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. You may know what it feels like to be abandoned by the people who are the closest to you. By the ones whom you never, ever would have thought would have turned their back on you. And yet they did. You're not alone. I remember sitting in that midtown sanctuary of Bellevue Baptist Church. It seated 3,000. They filled it up four times on Sunday morning. Sitting there with 2,999 of my closest strangers. <laughs> and I remember praying and saying, God, I'm the loneliest person on the face of the earth. I need somebody. He says, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. Even when you can't count on the ones whom you thought that you could count on the most, when you've been deserted and abandoned, God will not leave you. While these still others are making their homes in caves and in dens, God is there. Remember Elijah? Right before he says, God, I'm all alone. I'm all by myself. I wish you'd just take me on out of here. Where is he? He's by the brook Kidron. And God is feeding him. He's feeding him with ravens who will bring food to him and to sustain him. Even if you feel like the loneliest person in the world, God knows where you are. God knows what you need. God will sustain you. So Elijah, get up out of that pit. Get up out of your sorrow. And begin to do the things that you know that God has called you to do. Serve those who are in the same situation that you are, but yet have no hope. Do for those who need something done for them. Show this world what biblical courage and bravery looks like by standing true to Christ. Sometimes it is our circumstances that thrust us Force us, call us to dig down deep and gather that bravery, gather that courage, and speak or act. But you, believer, you have a greater call. 
You don't have to wait around for circumstances to go sour. You don't have to wait around for the culture to demand something of Christians or to so offend you that you feel like now you have no choice but to act. Pastor Tim would love to thank you for joining us today for his message entitled, Still Others. He would also love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Britt David Podcast.